Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Go there with Shira and Ryan. Entertainment, music, pop culture, LGBT plus news. Let's go there. Start now. Hello. Happy Wednesday. This is Let's Go There with Shira and Ryan where we catch you up on the news of the day. We got some pop culture. We've got our crazy lives we get into and so much more. Plus fun music in between right here on Channel Q. Yes. Hello. Hi. Uh, your mic is on. And what am I bringing? Oh, this. Here we go. What's up, everyone? <laughs> well, Some tech issues. It's a live show. It is a live show. If you're wondering, this is not pre-recorded. This is not planned. Well, it is planned a bit. Is it? I think if people you saw, saw us scrambling today, if you see if you see what we go off of, you'd be actually very impressed. I think. Just saying. I'm impressed every day. Great job, producer Vanessa. <laughs> but, you know, I'm telling you, I don't like binge watching shows. Oh, how did we get here? Because I'm, I'm, you know, I asked you how you're doing. I check in with Vanessa. I feel like I was very tired this morning. I'm checking in with myself. And I think it's because I'm watching TV and I typically don't. I don't get how people balance their life and binge watching. Balancing their life? It doesn't make sense to me. You stay up late watching shows. How how do you get enough sleep and feel energized in the morning? No, you shouldn't be staying up watching shows. How do you get watch the shows then? How do you have time know. to watch them? I watch them throughout the day. See, I can't do that. I can't multitask like that. So I give credit to anyone who could binge watch a show and keep their life together. You're doing good. Uh, but let's get into uh, some what's trending this hour and uh, coming up on the what's show. What's trending oh. in the news? I wasn't used to that, but hey. Um, coming up on the show, has the American flag become politicized? We're getting into that in 15 minutes, plus how celebrities can make their apologies better at 3.25 p.m. Pacific, 6.25 p.m. Eastern. But first, as you heard, we're getting into what's trending in the news with this fancy uh, s- song. Dr. Anthony Fauci responded to critics, mainly Republicans, calling him out for um, what he's putting out there in the world, and he- they want him to be fired. That issue with masks is people want to fire me or put me in jail for what I've done, namely follow the science. Like I could go the next half an hour going through each and every point that they make. It's it's preposterous, Chuck. Totally preposterous. Well, and those who have criticized him have accused him of reversing his views on the origins of the virus and on wearing masks to prevent transmission, along with a ton of other conspiracy theories. So he's continuing to have to defend himself for doing his job, unfortunately. Uh, but that was a what's trending in the news quickie. More in the next hour on the show. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? The Tea Report. 
Okay, so we got a lot coming up in the tea report. I don't like it. I hate this thing. It's not good. Um, okay, so let's talk off things. <laughs> Kid Rock. So Kid Rock has been captured on video using a homophobic slur, which is not good. It's time for the tea report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. So he appeared to have been... Um, basically upset while at the mic at some bar and grill in Tennessee. It was a video was posted on TMZ and the whole thing basically stemmed from someone filming him performing, which led to the outburst. So basically he was singing at this venue when he apparently noticed uh, some camera person recording him with the phone. Then he started cussing at them being like, F your iPhone. Yeah. And then he started doing some like lewd gestures telling them to basically SMD, if you know what that means. Um, and then it was followed by reportedly saying, you effing homophobic slur. Um, and so it felt like, what is actually going on here? I mean, he didn't look great. It looks like, and he's in Smithville, Tennessee, which is a very small town, very Republican, very conservative, very like, don't go there if you're black, no street lights type of place. Oh. And so I'm not really shocked that, you know, Kid Rock did this. So, yeah, that's trending everywhere. If you want to check out the video, head over to wearechannelq.com because guess what? TMZ posted it and we have it on our site. And uh, do you have any thoughts on this? I just, well, he's weird. And he was at <laughs> Fish Lips Bar. What kind of bar name is that? Fish Lips. I didn't want to say it. I didn't want to say it. Yeah, it sounds, it's, it's weird. <laughs> it's weird. It's very weird. That's your team report. We got more coming up next hour. Now, coming up next on the show, as pro-Trump rallies around the country continue to pop up, is the American flag being politicized? We dive in next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Has the American flag changed what it means to some folks in America? Well, MSNBC contributor Mara Gray shared her thoughts about dozens of American flags flown by Donald Trump supporters during a weekend trip to Long Island, New York, which uh, disturbed her. Here Continue. is... Uh, Island this weekend, uh, visiting a really dear friend, and I was really disturbed. I saw, you know, dozens and dozens of pickup trucks with, uh, you know, uh, explicatives against Joe Biden uh, on the back of them, yep. uh, Trump yep. flags, and some cases just dozens of American flags, which you know, uh, is also just disturbing because essentially the message was clear: it was, this is my country, this is not your yep. country. I own this. And so until we're ready to have. Again, that was Mara Gay on MSNBC and many, including the host, as you heard, didn't debate her. But of course, there's going to be others that don't get it. Uh, and back with us uh, is Jared Hill, pop culture journalist and co-host of the Fanti podcast. Welcome back. Hey there. Thanks for having me. So for those who don't uh, get what she was saying and who pushed back on the idea of possibly the flag being politicized, um, can you break down the message here? I, I think we have to consider the way that patriotism has been portrayed around this country for not just the last few years, but especially in the last few years, the way that uh, Republicans and like extreme conservatives have really kind of co-opted the idea of being patriotic. Um, and then even if we look at the ways that, that things have happened in the Trump era, where Americans uh, that support Donald Trump have been referred to as the real patriots, they've been referred to as the people who really care about the real America. They've been portrayed as these people who believe in the foundation of America. That message to 
uh, the, believe in the idea of America more than anyone else. And that, that real message has, you know, translated to, you know, anyone that does not look like us and by us being, you know, white, cis, het, you know, men specifically, but also women, um, this is this land is not your land. This land is not for you. And I think it's even, even something that we can look back at Colin Kaepernick, right? The idea of taking the knee during the, the national anthem for him um, with the NFL the whole conversation became something about America and this, the uh, and the troops and all of these other things, as if you know taking a knee was not a patriotic thing to do. When you know, in reality, America was founded in and on protest, and so uh, it's something that is definitely understandable. I've I've had that same feeling that Mara talks about in this piece. Like I would completely understand that. Yeah, it's one of those things where, to be honest, the reactions uh, that I'm seeing online is kind of proving her point. <laughs> Mm. It's it's interesting to see um, folks kind of attacking her for saying that until we, you know, stop centering whiteness in these conversations, then we won't be able to move forward. And when you are weaponizing the American flag uh, in the way that is centering whiteness, it is a problem. And do you think that is ever going to shift, especially in the rate that we're seeing the Republican Party kind of go in? It, it feels like the Trump era is going to be here and forever, to be quite honest. I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like our, our country is uh, is really dealing in a difficult time right now when we consider like the quote-unquote racial reckoning of last year. Um, January 6th having happened. I know, I know for myself, actually, when I used to host a show on this network, uh, Drop the Subject, we had a conversation once about like the, the way that the flag can be triggering to folks. And I know for myself, if I go into a community and I see a bunch of American flags, I immediately, you know, begin to think like, oh, this is probably a lot of conservatives. Um, and I don't know that we're going to be able to just heal it or fix it. I think that all of the evidence shows that we're headed toward some kind of a, a conflict situation. And I think that the same ways that we see people, you know, carting around the Confederate flag and that's triggering for folks. I think very similarly, uh, the American flag is triggering for folks now because of what it's come to represent for so many. Yeah. I mean, you're bringing up really important uh, thoughts and I would say, where do we go from here? But I'm <laughs> like, these conversations are important and I guess that's part of it. Yeah, I mean, where do we go from here is, is a difficult thing to even really figure out because I think so many folks aren't even willing to figure out where here is, right? Mm, so many yeah. folks are uncomfortable with having conversations about race. So many folks are uncomfortable having conversations about our history and our past, as we're seeing even, you know, right now in the past week or two. We've seen uh, states that are passing laws that make it illegal to, to teach um, about race and racism and the way that that has presented itself in our country. And so, you know, we are not really dealing with these issues. And so I don't know how we're going to get how we're going to make them any better if we're not going to, you know, really deal with them. Well, that was Jarrett Hill, pop culture and political journalist, co-host of the Fanti podcast. Thanks, as always, for being here. Love having you on. Thank you. Coming up on the show, what we can learn from America's pandemic failure to help us all moving forward. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. As we come out of the pandemic in the U.S., we're able to look at what worked, what didn't. But one of the biggest things coming up is, as a failure was our assumption that America was a collective. Instead, we saw individualism lead. And joining us right now is Dr. Jen Cates, the Senior Vice President and Director of Global Health and HIV Policy at KFF. Thanks for joining us today. 
Hi, it's good to be here. So what is it about the U.S. that experts would assume out of nowhere Americans could just work together? <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, the, the whole idea here is, is that we, there, there was a public health emergency. Everyone would come together and we'd find ways collectively to, you know, suspend the way we usually do things and, and you know, fight the uh, pandemic. And that actually ha- happened for a lot of people, but not everybody. And I think that's a big take home here. Um, we're a pretty individualistic society. Who did that happen for? <laughs> well, who did that happen for? So, you know, I, I think it's important to acknowledge that most people, you know, the majority of people in the U.S. Um, did say, OK, we're in a public health emergency. We're going to wear masks. We're going to social distance. Mm-hmm. And now we're seeing, you know, the majority of people getting vaccinated. But a good number of people just said, nope, I, I you know, I don't. I don't want to do this. I don't want the government to tell me what to do. I want to make my own decisions. You're encroaching on my freedom. And that just doesn't really work when you have an infectious disease that's spreading around the country or the world. Yeah. And and are there countries that practice collective action that we can look at and say, oh, this is the way to do it? Yeah, I mean, there are some countries. I think one take home is that no country was perfect here. The the world overall needs to do a better job for the next pandemic, and there will be another one. Um, I think that's the certainty we we have. But you know, some countries in Asia uh, who have more experience and also a different citizens have a different relationship to their government, um, and we're just much more comfortable with the idea that you have to give something up sometimes for the larger good, and that that was worth it. Um, that's just isn't doesn't seem to be the the sentiment for a lot of America. I think what I'm I'm getting at is when we're talking about collectiveness um is America's never really been that <laughs> if you're looking at historically and even if you're right. relating it to uh to to healthcare and how black and brown folks in this country were disproportionately affected by this thing. Um, yes. So for me, I, I've never really, I'm not really still understanding even then this collective idea of why, I'm, you know, America was kind of really leading this, this moment of like, oh, well, we, we may be able to do this all together when their actions in the past have kind of said otherwise. Correct. And I think, I think the reality is if anyone was looking closely it was pretty clear that we would have challenges in the U.S. with was sort of taking a very collective pro- approach. I mean, politics, culture, socioeconomic variables, all the things that, that we know structure our lives in so many ways are at least as important to assess as, you know, health. And so um, if that isn't done, we're, we're you know, we're, we're at a loss. And I think there was an underestimation of how important those things are particularly the, the politics and the partisan side of this, that really ended up defining a lot of COVID in our country and was at odds with combating a pandemic. And as someone who's an expert in the space, what are you looking at moving forward? I'm assuming there's a lot of folks looking at the data, what was happening, yeah. to how to treat this in the future in a better way. So like, what is right now the, the focus for you? Yeah, it's a great question. So interestingly, before this pandemic, those who looked at, um, you know, which countries would probably be best suited to fight a pandemic, the U.S. was like at the top. Um, and obviously, we didn't do a great job. So, I mean, we're doing a much better job in vaccinations than, than other countries, but not in everything else. And so I think, it, you know, going forward, we have to really look hard at the actual evidence that we've all lived through and, and rewrite the playbook in, in a way that uh, uh, accounts for 
culture accounts for politics, accounts for the really challenging things that, uh, that affect everybody's lives and made it so that, as you mentioned, brown and black people in this country were just so hard hit by COVID. We have to take all of those things, you know, not just into consideration, but as fundamental in rewriting the playbook for the next pandemic. Because if we don't, we're going to have some of the same challenges. Definitely. Well, and then also it comes in the top, the administration. I mean, that kind of led by example. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, the there was the administration, the last administration, the Trump administration took a very different approach. Um, You made this the Trump himself made this a very partisan issue when it really is a health issue. And also um, putting aside the sort of politics, uh, the big, big P politics, some some administrations have a really different view of how the federal government should operate. We have a federal system, so states have a lot of autonomy, but there's a lot you can do in a pandemic. And the Trump administration decided that it was going to sort of be a hands-off approach and let the states sort of handle a lot of a lot of this. And that doesn't really work either. And I think that just speaks to some of these challenges. Yeah, it seems to be a two-pronged approach that is needed, or even three. Yes. Uh, you know, yes. federal, local, and then uber local. Anyway, totally. um, that, that was Dr. Jen Kate, Senior Vice President, Director of Global Health and HIV Policy at KFF. Hope to have you back. Sure, anytime. Thank you. Thank you. Coming up, your food at Chipotle might be more expensive the next time you go. We'll tell you why next. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. So I know there are some Chipotle lovers out there. I'm craving some guac. I actually had Chipotle last night. Oh, did you notice a change in your receipt and like the amount of money you owed? Um, I'm not going to lie to you, and this may sound like a flex, oh. but actually it sounds, for me, it's very irresponsible. I didn't even pay attention. I just got what I, I wanted. Well, I was tired. I just wanted what I wanted that. so I could get out of there. Well, supposedly they're hiking up their menu prices by roughly 4% to cover the cost of raising its workers' wages, which once again, I'm down for that. Uh, and we we can't be surprised that that means our food's also going to be more expensive, as we are asking for wages to go up, everything else is going to go up. It's a domino effect. And are you okay with that? I mean, we've seen it with gas. We've seen it um, with, like, may- maybe at the grocery stores, too. Like, depending on where you're going. It, I think 
I'm not shocked that this is happening, unfortunately, because the country, we just went through a radical, yeah. crazy year. And so it, um, to see prices kind of, you know, happen. But my thing is, let's be real about Chipotle specifically. Their CEO and that boss of theirs, I think it was reported that they made a ton of money, like millions, like $35 million plus dollars. And the fact that he's like raising prices just to like say, oh, we want to make sure we can pay our employees. No, if, a, if my thing is a, a real boss should be kind of taking a pay cut because at the end of the day, he's still going to make a whole bunch of money. Use pay. You don't have to raise prices on everyone else just to pay your employees. Pay your employees because that's what it was is supposed to happen. I feel like corporations continue to fail employees everywhere, and then they like put it on us to have us like the consumer to to pay more so they can afford it, so they can also get more money in their own pockets. So it's capitalism, and it's it's stupid in my opinion. It's it's un- unfortunate, but wow, Chipotle vinaigrette, what a moment. <laughs> Well, I'm just saying, I'm being honest. Vinaigrette? Yeah, have you never had their vinaigrette? No. It's delicious. You oh, should get good it. to ask know. For it. Okay. And get it a bowl. They only offer it for so- uh, salads, but if you ask for it, they'll give it to you. You just dip things in it? You put it all over your bowl. Oh, okay. You wouldn't know that because you... I do go to Chipotle, I get the bowl. Salad oh, bowl. okay, okay. But I'm just saying, yeah, that's really the reason why he's You don't doing think it. I'm a Chipotle girl? <laughs> no, because I didn't know they have... Do they have vegan options? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Well, so listen, they are ra- uh, raising their workers average to $15 an hour by the end of June. And it's not just them. A lot of restaurants have been boosting wages to attract workers because there's a labor crunch. A lot of people are not... And this is what's really interesting to me. Obviously, people need jobs, but a lot of people are getting creative and they're not going back to the jobs they had, which they weren't happy with, and where they were being underpaid. Like, we're seeing a shift. So, companies are going to have to do more and incentivize workers, but then we're also going to see prices go up. So, yeah, there needs to be a little bit of a balancing act in the future, and I think it's all going to even out at a certain point. But we are going to Ryan, we are living through history right now. And with that, there's a lot of shakeups. That happen. Uh, is this is this technically history? Yeah, this, you, what, I think we'll look what back. What part of this is history? Besides oh, the, the pandemic, pandemic. but Besides but that, that impacted things economically, and yeah. I think there is a uh, a reckoning, whether culturally, socioeconomically, ca- in terms of capitalism and what it means, how we create sustainable businesses and it's lifestyles. It's interesting to think about it because, like, when you're living in it, you don't think about it. Totally, unless it's like something extreme, like the pandemic. Yeah, that it feels like history, of course, and obviously the the things that tie to that. Yeah, that makes sense. But I think like our kids will look back and be like, "What you weren't you were paid like twelve dollars an hour? That's crazy! Like the, they won't even imagine a world like that because either they're creating new types new types of companies will be around, or, or the, the wages at that point will be higher. Yeah, the wages will be higher, but then they're also probably paying more for rent and paying more for cars and paying more. It will all even itself out. The hope is it will be even itself out. The hope is, but I don't necessarily believe that it will be. Well, let us know what you think. Will you still be eating at Chipotle? I mean, I think people will be, and at least it's... I'm going to go there tonight again. I'm down to pay a bit extra if I know someone's getting health care. I got a bowl and two tacos. It was $19. Is that expensive A bowl and two tacos... Yeah, bowl and two tacos. It was a chicken bowl with lettuce. Yeah, twenty dollars dinner is like a high. I mean, cream. I always look at twenty dollars dinners. Should I like, continue with my yeah. order? Wow, you got a lot of stuff. <laughs> it was a bowl and two tacos. Wow, she just fat shamed me over the air. We need. She continues to shame me. <laughs> Do you want to see the snacks I have that I brought? Anyway, we got more show coming up. Don't go anywhere. 
Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Coming up on the show this hour, what celeb announced their engagement during Pride? We'll tell you who in the tea report with Ryan. Plus, the making of a perfect celebrity apology. I'm fascinated. I actually am really interested in like how to do a good apology. I think it's really important to know how to do that. There's a whole book about it, but we're going to be talking about it on our show, giving you the Cliff's Notes. First of all, I thought we were looking at the celebrity apology. But you know, I think we can all take tips from that. I, are well, you calling yourself a celebrity? No, I'm saying, but then I realized, like, oh no, because usually that includes press release and statements and a video. What does it say, yeah. Yeah, I don't think the regular person would be putting out, like, a, a video blog about it. Cher wants to be a celebrity so she can apologize for something. Yep. That's what's happening. It's on here. my bucket list. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's get into some what's trending this hour, though, right now. President Biden embarked on his first foreign trip, aimed to steady relations. Barely seen that with U.S. allies and confront Russia's Vladimir Putin face to face. This is my first overseas trip as president of the United States. I'm heading to the G7, then to the NATO ministerial, and then to meet with Mr. Putin to let him know what I want him to know. And at every point along the way, We're going to make it clear that the United States is back and democracies of the world are standing together to tackle the toughest challenges and the issues that matter most. Okay, Uh, the U.S. will respond, as he mentioned, in a robust and meaningful way when the Russian government engages in harmful activities, too. So he's proven that he's not going to let Putin, you know, uh, get away with these things. Now, the Justice Department shared it can, quote, vigorously defend a religious exemption from federal civil rights law that allows federally funded religious schools to discriminate against LGBTQ students. The court filing happened in response to the class action lawsuit that we've actually talked about here on the show. And we've had students and a lawyer here against the Department of Education. The schools in question say they have a First Amendment right to promote traditional religious beliefs about sexuality and gender. So it'll be interesting to see where this lands, and we'll be continuing to cover it here. And finally, uh, according to CNN, the U.S. has purchased and will donate 500 million doses of Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine worldwide as it seeks to be a key player in getting other nations vaccinated. President Biden announced the news um, or will announce news at the G7 summit in Cornwall, England this week. The doses will go to 92 lower and income countries in addition to the African Union. And that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Well, we have a very early yes queen, and I'm going to play a song in honor of the person we're about to talk about. So it's time for the tea report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. Friend of the show and our very favorite person, Frankie Grande, just announced that he and his boyfriend of two years are engaged. I mean, those Grandes really like to marry folks really quickly. Don't you think two years is like really quick to be like marrying someone? I I think it's too Seems quick. Seems like when they met, it was pretty serious, and he's kind of at the time of his life where you say he oh he's I mean he's around yeah, yeah he's, he's around my age. age yeah I think at this age you're kind of like wham bam thank you ma'am 
Yeah, two years sounds really intense, though. I don't know. But it works for him because he's 38. He surprised his boyfriend with an elaborate VR proposal uh, in Los Angeles surrounded by close friends and family. He popped the question at the site of one of the couple's memorable first dates. It's called Dreamscape. It's an immersive VR adventure venue in Los Angeles. He said it was perfect. It, uh, It was a perfect, beautiful moment. Hell was completely surprised, and we both started crying tears of joy. I have been working on proposing to him in virtual reality for over a year, and it was absolutely breathtaking for us both. Honestly, I'm ha- like over a year. That means he was planning this during quarantine when a lot of couples were breaking up in quarantine, but their relationship stayed strong, Aww. and now. They have a lifetime of getting on each other's nerves. I feel like Frankie Grande could be very annoying. Like, in the idea of, like, waking up to Frankie. He's so bubbly and personable all the time. Like, I think people like that are probably a bit more chill in real life, like, day to day. Yeah, that's honestly me as well. I'm, like, very quiet in real life. Kind of me, too. I have my bubbly moments. Sure, you enter the door being like, woo! Yeah, but I do that, and then I go the other way where I'm like, don't bother me. Yeah, that's true, I guess. Well, we're super excited. We're very happy for Frankie. Frankie deserves this. And I got to see Frankie in person for the first time in a while um, in person at the Out Loud Raising Voices previous weekend. And so it was just so wonderful to always chat with him. And I can't wait to see their wedding and everything. I wonder if we'll get an invite. I mean, we deserve. I'm going to see. We're going to make it happen. This is going to be the hottest (laughs) wedding of the year besides Ariana Grande's that everyone missed. That's your T-Report. I got more coming up next hour. Don't go anywhere. Now coming up, the making of a perfect celebrity apology. We're getting into that with Vice next. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. It seems like everyone is needing to say sorry at one point or another these days, including, of course, celebrities. But what's the secret behind a good celeb apology? Well, joining us right now is Kate Drees, Editorial Director for Features at Vice. Thanks for being here for this. Oh, oh there you go. You're on. <laughs> so, uh, Kate, I-, I love this topic because it's relatable, but also it's something that I feel like every day we're talking about. So what does a good celeb apology look like if we had our ideal, you think, based on um, the research that was done for the story and also what we the, what we get from the social media ether? Yeah. So our reporter, Hunter Harris, um, did this piece for Vice. And oh my God, she I talked to like Hunter a bunch Harris. of... Yes, yeah, she's amazing. She's and she really like found, you know, she like got the goods. And she talked to a bunch of publicists and... Um, experts and agents and lawyers and 
essentially like on their end, what they need is like someone who sounds sincere, right? Like someone who they genuinely believe really is sorry and can get that across. And then that translates to an audience. I think we've all read, you know, dozens of apologies at this point that ring hollow. And it's probably because the person behind it doesn't really feel like they should be apologizing, right? Yeah, but oftentimes celebrities kind of put their foot in it. And I think we saw it a lot of times in the pandemic specifically, where it's a lot of they were like doing tone deaf like things or, you know, it just feels like at this point, the celebrity apology doesn't really mean much. And now it's just kind of being counteracted with our being like labeled. Oh, it's just another version of cancel culture. So how do we move forward? And one, I guess, taking an, uh, a celebrity apology like seriously, but then also like if, you know, not allowing a celebrity to avoid accountability by just kind of labeling it cancel culture because I feel like that's oftentimes what we see right I mean I think you really need to know and and look at like who does the work right like you could put out a, a perfectly nice fine apology and then you know depending on the severity of what they're apologizing for maybe they don't really need to bring it up again or talk about it again or like maybe it's actually super serious and then you see a situation where like you know, are they putting in the time? Are you seeing that they're really changing or doing something different? You know, one one moment uh, Hunter mentions in her piece is the Justin Timberlake apology for the Super Bowl, which, you know, came decades after the fact. And, you know, one apology there after like a lot of years, a lot of damage, like, do we really know if he's sincere? I don't think we'll really see that until you know, she feels apologized to, it feels like he's, you know, putting in the work, like that's sort of the differentiating factor, I think. So what goes into this? Because there is a process. If you're not in the industry, you might not know what actually goes down. So say, okay, there's a, a big story, problematic moment. What happens now? Yeah. So sometimes you get celebrities who just run their mouths. And I think you can probably tell the difference between like a, a well-crafted statement and someone who just posts something on Twitter or on Instagram. But if it's someone who's working with their team, this is going to be like dozens of drafts in a few days time. So typically what the people Hunter spoke to said is that they'll first just have the celebrity write out what they're thinking, what they're feeling. And then that's when the publicist, sometimes an attorney, if like it's a really serious allegation get their hands on it. And like, this is a lot of teams and people working back and forth to figure out, okay, how do we as succinctly as possible get across both that someone is sorry, but also if this is like a legal concern that they're not admitting fault of anything that then later might come up in court. So it's a really delicate balance. Are we going to see the end of like those like iOS is what I feel like everyone's calling them the iOS press (laughs) because those are the worst things ever. I know. It's funny you say that. I kind of like them at this point. Like, they're such a joke. It's like whenever you see one, you're just like, oh, another notes of apology. Like, rub pans, eat popcorn. Yes, yes. It's just one of those things where I'm like, please, just stop it already. So what is better, like, written or video? And, like, what platform? Um, I mean, for my personal opinion, and I bet what a lot of these, you know, publicists and crisis PR people would say is that written is definitely better. Um, you can really like keep it short, keep it succinct. There's no like body language or stuff to read out. Um, you know, people can't comment on what you're wearing or, you know, in this day and age, like where are you at in your house? Um, you know, for these, for these people, like you want to keep it as tight as possible. 
Yeah, do the same rules apply to influencers like they do celebrities? Because I feel like there's a clear distinction. Oh, my God. I mean, I feel like influencer apologies are like a whole other ballgame, right? Because they make like money and traffic off of these like long, you know, 30 minute apology videos, essentially. So that's almost like an industry in itself. Well, yeah, I mean, but it is problematic to actually monetize those, you know, if, if you did something wrong. And so you see when people have monetized it or, it, you know, if they turn comments on or off, like there's a whole strategy around that. What can the every person learn from this process? Yeah, I mean, the thing I always want our audience to understand is like, what's going on behind the scenes here. So like, especially when it comes to celebrities, people who are rich, famous and powerful, nothing you see is truly unfiltered. Mm -hmm. And so the reason we kind of want to dig into this is like, A, it's a topic I find fascinating, but B, it's like everything you read has had a lot of hands touching it. And that's like both good and bad at the same time. Yes, lots of food for thought. Well, Kate Dries, thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you guys for having me. Really appreciate it. Yeah, Kate Dries is the editorial director for Features at Vice. Coming up, what you need to know about Senator Manchin, the Democrat opposing the voting rights bill. That's next with The Washington Post. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Democratic Senator Joe Manchin has been in the spotlight for siding with Republicans around the filibuster and for going against the voting rights bill. Political correspondent from The Washington Post, Philip Bump, joins us to share more about what we need to know about this senator and the controversy around everything right now. Thanks for being here. Of course. So what is his background exactly, and why is he such a big focus right now? So his background, he's a senator from West Virginia. He used to be the governor there. Uh, before that, he served, served in the state legislature. Essentially what happened is in 2010, the long-standing, uh, long-serving Senator Robert Byrd died, uh, and he uh, briefly held the spot until there was an election um, in 2012, he won in 2012, 2018. Uh, and he's a center of attention essentially just because the Democrats only have 50 votes. Uh, if the Democrats had more than 50 votes, they had, you know, 55 votes, he wouldn't wield the power that he does. But he is a senator uh, from one of the most Republican states in the country, and yet he is a Democrat. He tends to vote with the Democratic caucus. Uh, but obviously, you know, the Democrats with Joe Biden in office are expecting to move a, a pretty progressive agenda. And that's just simply not who Joe Manchin is. And not only that, he, you know, he probably wants to get reelected in 2024. And he recognizes that he has to be very careful in a heavily Republican state. Yeah. So why won't he just hop over to the Republican Party? Well, he may, right? I mean, he may actually do that before 2024. Obviously, that doesn't do the Democrats any good right now. If if he were to hop over to the Republican Party, which he could do tomorrow if he wanted to, all of a sudden, the Senate becomes a 51-49 Republican majority. Mitch McConnell becomes Senate Majority Leader. And not only that, but Joe Manchin loses all of his power because now he's just one of 50 Republicans, you know, 51 Republicans. He doesn't become that sole focus. He doesn't get to craft legislation the way that he used to. He may still do it before the 2024 elections. You know, I think he is a Democrat. So I think, you know, he sort of stays true to that in, in, in sort of the broad sense. Uh, so I don't know that he will, uh, but he could. But then he gives up most of his power. And what's his argument around going against the voting rights bill? Why is he so anti it? Well, he really seems to believe Now, it's important to remember that not only is he from a, a, a very Republican state, but he's also a very moderate senator. Right. And, you know, and there, there are ways to measure these things. He is the most moderate Democrat, probably the most moderate senator, I think, overall. 
Uh, and so I think he really truly believes that there should be some bipartisan action. I think he certainly recognizes that people in West Virginia are more sympathetic to the Republicans than to the Democrats. And so I think he's trying to actually respect his constituents to some extent there. But I think he sees this legislation as being partisan. You know, obviously that's somewhat subjective. Uh, uh, and, you know, people will have varying opinions here. Uh, but I, one of the things that I think is sort of fascinating is this, is this repeated insistence uh, from the left that Joe Manchin, you know, Joe Manchin's got to come around, he's got to end the filibuster, he's got to vote for these things. Well, that's fundamentally just not who he is, right? In the same way that last spring people were worried about how how progressive Joe Biden was going to be, that Joe Manchin is very moderate, right? And, you know, in the same way that people sort of had lower expectations for what Biden was going to do, that I think, you know, many would on the left would think he exceeded, people should probably readjust their expectations for what Manchin's going to do, too. So if Joe Biden is trying, well, let's just say he wants to kind of have a more progressive or create more progressiveness in this party and everyone mm-hmm. is trying to move forward. It just seems like Manchin is never going to be on the same page as the rest of the Democrats at this point. So what kind of what, what do you think Joe Biden is going to do to kind of balance him out or try to win him over on some legislation that they're trying to get passed? Like, what does that plan look like when it comes to Manchin being able to kind of stop everything in its tracks, if you really think about it? I think there are probably two approaches that we've already seen Biden do, particularly with this infrastructure bill. The first approach is that he actually spends some time trying to figure out if there's a deal that he can make with Republicans, right? It is the nature of those sorts of compromises that not everyone gets what they want, right? That's that's what it means. It's compromise, right? Uh, and so I think Biden is trying to see if maybe there is something they can do. But part of the reason he's doing that is so he can go back to Joe Manchin and say, look, we're not coming to a deal with these guys. So we got to decide, are we going to have some investment or are we going to have no investment? And if we're going to have some investment, that means you get on board with the rest of the party or, you know, more extremely that we change the filibuster rules so we can pass this on a majority vote. I think that's the strategy that Biden's using. It's a slow strategy. It's not how he'd like to do things. Uh, but if he wants to get, you know, he needs his 50th vote. He needs Joe Manchin. And so he's, he's going through these steps. I mean, what's the sentiment from fellow Democrats right now? Is he like the odd one out? Are people just like, get this guy out of here? Are they trying to get him to understand them? Like, what's the strategy here? No, it's a, it's a good question. I think it varies depending on who you ask. There's a lot of really progressive folks, you know, Brian Schatz from Hawaii, Elizabeth Warren from Massachusetts, who would like to move faster on bigger, bolder, progressive action uh, that Manchin is standing in the way of. But there's also a lot of senators who are probably a lot more moderate, who are worried about their upcoming races, and are very, very happy to have Joe Manchin both slowing the roll on some of his progressive policies and drawing all the fire, right? Mm-hmm. If you are a, a, a fairly moderate Republican who's up for re-election 22 or 24 in a, a purple state or even a red state, you're going to be very happy not to have to be the one out in the front voting for these things, being the 50th vote to pass this sort of legislation. You're happy to have Joe Manchin be playing that role. Uh, and so I think a lot of them are probably just sort of struggling. Well, thank you for being here for this. That was political correspondent from The Washington Post, Philip Bump. Have a great rest of your night. Thank you, too. Now coming up, a plastic surgeon is coming clean about one of the mysterious sicknesses of breast implants. Now, this is uh, just crazy, but we're going to be getting into that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. An influencer surgeon. Imagine this is the day and age where a surgeon is an influencer, right? With millions of followers on social media is calling out the medical community over what he says are painful myths about breast implants. Yeah, surgeons, of course, have. there are some surgeons who are influencers. Dr. Miami? I know. I just think it's, you know... It's interesting. Well, Dr. Anthony Yun, a Detroit-based plastic surgeon of 17 years, he has 
4.6 million followers on TikTok. He's doing well. And he's talking about an illness that some doctors say don't exist. So he shared this Instagram reel and he held a silicone implant in one hand while pointing. You know, people point to things. There's text when he says breast implants cause hair loss, brain fog, joint aches, rashes, fatigue, not, uh, and not in everyone, but in some, BII is real. So he's referring to um, breast implant illness. It's called BII. And it's something that doctors still deny, even though many people say that they are experiencing this. Uh, and so this is a big deal because he finally is one of those doctors who have who's spoken out with a big social media following about this. So wait. <laughs> by the way, Ryan just had a shot of espresso, and he's a bit off. He, it's gross. By he's the way. never had that, so that's it's why not good. he was so, taking a beat. So real quick, um, this doctor, a whole bunch of followers. What did he do? He came clean about an an illness and symptoms that a lot of people deny. They, they a lot of patients and like about breast, like breast breast implants. implants yeah, illness. Well, so that, it's true. Uh, Michaela from the Morning Beach. That's the reason why I think she got hers removed because of that. Michelle Visage from Drag Race has spoken about it and actually has a, a documentary coming out on World of Wonder talking about and showing the process of her getting them removed. This is a real thing. I don't know why people think it's not. And yeah, it's, and it's unfortunate because while, you know, in the 90s, there was a class action lawsuit that brought this to people's attention. Obviously, people and do whatever you want to do are still getting breast implants. But we're not really facing the fact that this is like a foreign thing going into your body and it might not be good and it's still being promoted and popularized. Um, and there's actually a lot of social media groups and Facebook groups of women sharing their stories or people sharing their stories um, about autoimmune symptoms following breast augmentation. And you can also, if, if you or someone you know are dealing with this, there's actually this Facebook group, HealingBreastImplantIllness.com. They have 145,000 members and they have come together to support those who believe they have BII. Because imagine you're sick, you're experiencing this and you go to your doctor and your doctor's like, well, no, you know, this just happens, but it's not an official thing. And their lack of claiming it as an official thing is, one, allowing the industry to continue without, you know, any changes. And it's making it so people aren't really allowing themselves to be cured. So this is this is really crazy. Um, but, yeah, it's come to our attention through social media, as many things do. Well, let us know what you think about this or if you've experienced anything like this at LGT Show is where you can find us on social media. Uh, but coming up, more rainbows are being blocked for pride. What Florida is trying to do next on What's Trending This Hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Yup, coming up this hour on Let's Go There. How parents can support their kids during Pride Month. That is in 30 minutes. Plus, one Netflix show is being called out for racist storylines. We've got that tea with Ryan in a moment. But first, let's get into some what's trending this hour. The Florida Department of Transportation has ordered the city of Jacksonville to stop lighting the Acosta Bridge in rainbow colors to celebrate Pride Month. The display was supposed to last for a week before they pulled the plug. Really? 
The department also refused a request to light Sarasota's John Ringling Causeway Bridge last week. That is just wrong. Meanwhile, the bridge actually usually lights up with colors to honor sports teams, Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and other notable events or holidays. So what's going on here? Why not Pride? Well, as we know, Governor Ron DeSantis doesn't support the uh, the LGBTQ plus community. He recently signed legislation to ban transgender girls from playing school sports. Also, he slashed funding for LGBTQ issues from the state budget. So someone's got to say something because this is not right at all. That was a What's Trending This Hour quickie. We're moving on to some Tea in the Tea Report. What's going on, Ryan? Oh, who doesn't love a quickie? Um, So let's talk uh, Kim's Convenience on Netflix. Have you heard of it? It's a Canadian show. I didn't uh, know about it until you started talking about it here. (laughs) Oh, remember, I'm tell me something wait, shocking. But that's also because I've only been watching one thing at a time. I watch Call My Agent right now. I'm trying to get through it. But anyway, it, yeah. we're not going to. Yeah, go. So, thank you. The cast of Netflix hit uh, show Kim's Convenience is calling out the writers on the show and the show in general. It's time for the T Report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. So. This show that was once celebrated for its lighthearted depiction of uh, Korean-Canadian culture is now under attack by its own stars. Uh, The show's actors were paid basically what was described a horse poop rate and experienced uh, a painful lack of diversity in production and overtly racist storylines. Online posts by um, cast members claim. So Simu uh, Liu, he actually wrote something on Facebook after the, um, the news came out that the cast like only like white character played by Nicole Powers was getting a spinoff as this they're finishing their fifth and final season. And of course that bothers him because he's like he said this, it's been difficult for me and I and I love and am proud of Nicole and I want the show to succeed for her, but I remain resentful of all the circumstances that led to the one non Asian character getting her own show. Um he refused. He also refused um adamantly um, to reprise his role uh, on the show. Uh, he said that that was just one of many race-related issues surrounding the show. Uh, so he also went and said our producers were overwhelmingly light, white and we were a cast of Asian Canadians who had a plethora of lived experiences to draw from and offer to writers, but we were often told of the next season's plans mere days before we were set to start shooting. That was There was deliberately not a, a lot of leeway given to us. They also talked uh, more in this um, kind of statement. Uh, several people kind of came out where basically they said, you know, that show that Dan Levy, um, I, it sounds like a cuss word. I don't know if I can say it, but that show, Dan Levy show on yeah. uh, the CBC or whatever it's called. Yeah, Canada. Uh, I know what it's called, yeah. but I just don't want to say it because shit's creep. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that show, basically, they called that show out because they were getting a whole bunch of money, the cast was, and they're on the same network, and Kim's Convenience did not get the same amount of money at all. They were actually looked at as completely different, even though they had higher ratings than um, that show. And so there's a lot coming out. Um, it, it really shows that Hollywood is not only an issue here in the States, it's a little bit everywhere as we see that even in Canada and it's unfortunate that this is continuing and this is one thing that is going on so yeah that's your team reports find out more of what they had to say if you like the show it, it's really juicy head over to weirdchannelq.com and um, I got more team report coming up next hour 
Now, next on the show, we've got more on Facebook's two-year Trump ban, what it does and doesn't do. That's next. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. If your day sounds like... We need the report ASAP. You deserve Medella. If you've persevered through... You deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp but refreshing taste. Or if you overcame... Two more rings, two more. You deserve this ice-cold reward. Medella, the markable fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Facebook announced that Donald Trump is banned from the platform for at least two years on Friday and that his actions on January 6th, quote, constituted a severe violation of our rules. Back with us is Rebecca Highwell, a reporter for Recode. Thanks for being here again. Thanks for having me. So were you surprised by this decision? Two years, long time. Or not enough. I think think that Facebook is in this weird where, you know, a bunch of people really want Trump to be permanently banned and a bunch of people want him back online right away. And I think Facebook has this incentive to kind of like toe the line and find some middle point between that. So with this two years, they're saying, you know, theoretically, this is supposed to dissuade him from doing something similar in the future but also potentially gives them the opportunity to return to the platform. So we'll have to see what happens. What do you think Facebook, when they're thinking about this decision, like, I know they're probably weighing out, like, the pros or the cons or, like, you know, and how it could affect them as a company. What do you think is kind of going on in their their brain when it comes to this decision? Like, why is this so difficult to to really figure out in a way? So there are a lot of different things on the one hand trump used this platform to spread misinformation to stoke violence um did a lot of really concerning things with it on the other hand there's a concern about setting a precedent of just banning global political leaders from one of the most important communications platforms in the world and that's a concerning sign to some about political censorship potentially so they have to think about all these different trade-offs from the harms that caught co- that trump has caused with his individual account to the broader principles that have to be weighed and, and sort of what kind of power facebook should and should not have yeah they also shared that they were and you wrote this in your article enacting this policy change as part of a new approach to public figures during civil unrest what does that mean so What they've announced now is that depending on how badly um, a political leader violates 
Facebook's rules, they could get kind of suspended from a range of time periods. So basically what they're saying is we're announcing a new way of trying to hold public leaders who use Facebook accountable, and that punishment can range up to two years. And Trump used Facebook so in, in such a bad way that Trump should get that that two-year suspension. And so do you think this is going to be the the same moving forward for all political figures? Because obviously there's a lot of conservative folks who are, I mean, you could say on either both sides, but also when you're really looking at it, there's a lot of um, extreme views still out there and that some political figures are kind of adapting. And so do you think that's also going to apply in the whole entire political landscape? Or is this just a Trump thing? I think, with Facebook, it always gets back to the fact that they change their approach constantly. Like we've heard several different attempts by Facebook to figure out what to do with Trump. I mean, Trump for the past four to five years has been this giant catastrophe for Facebook and trying to figure out what its rules should be. And I think, well, there's, you know, we want to think these are the final rules. We have to be really cautious because every time there's a new world leader, a new question can pop, pop up. Facebook has all these new pressures and all these different directions and they could change their approach again. So I'm really hesitant to ever say, yeah, this has changed things or this is how it's going to be now because the company adapts constantly depending on the situation. Yeah. And you, you mentioned these recommendations. So I guess that's the same. They, they mentioned 19 recommendations they have, the oversight board. Yes. Yes. So the oversight board for context is this group of people that Facebook hired outside of Facebook to make decisions about what Facebook's rules should be. So pretty convoluted. But as part of the process, they gave their feedback on Facebook's decision to suspend Donald Trump and also made a bunch of different recommendations about how Facebook should be better in the future. So part of this new kind of rules paradigm that Facebook announced was in response to the criticism that the oversight board uh, gave when it was giving feedback on on Facebook's decision regarding Trump. Okay, uh, and finally, who's going to make Facebook accountable? Like, who's going to make sure that they don't mess up? <laughs> They're a private company. Is that even a such thing for a private company? Are they public? Right. Yeah. Uh, well, it's, I mean, you yeah, know. but yeah, yeah. It's such a it's such a tough question because on the one hand, Facebook wants to sort of run a victory lap with this oversight board thing and say, oh, self-regulation really worked. Like we figured it out and we're improving. But on the other hand, then they say this is we think there should be regulation. At this point, Facebook is kind of saying like lawmakers, please just give us some rules of the road here because mm-hmm. we don't really know how to, how to handle a lot of these questions. So yet again, we come back to can lawmakers even figure out how to responsibly deal with these large social media companies in a way that makes sense and, and, and it puts up appropriate guardrails. Yeah, it seems like there's a job opening for someone here. Yeah. Uh, that was Rebecca <laughs> right. Highwell, who's a, a reporter at Recode. Thanks for being here for this. Thanks for having me. Now, we are knee-deep in Pride Month, and for those parents listening, here's how to support your kids before they officially come out. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. It is Pride Month. A reminder, we keep saying that. You should already know that, right? And for those parents listening or those who are future parents, we're going to get into how to support your kids before they officially come out. Because this is something we should all know. Even if you're in the community, it doesn't mean you necessarily know how to talk to kids. I don't think you ever want to... um 
project any of your own worries on yeah. a child, especially your child, if they are wanting to come out. And so I think this could be a really opportun- like an educational opportunity mm-hmm. for all people exactly. right now. Exactly. Well, yeah. Alex Casala is here today.com editor to dive into this. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I love that you decided to do uh, this piece. So I guess let's get into the six things that parents can do before their child possibly comes out. And also, I feel like you don't necessarily want to assume like your child is coming out. You know, like how do you go about you know, doing my that? My grandmother would say, "Yeah, honey, Ryan had a little sugar in his tank." That's what. That's how <laughs> yeah. she would describe it. But she owed and black. <laughs> yeah, no, the, the the inspiration for this came because I was, like, literally um, sitting at dinner in, like, Atlantic City on, like, a Friday night in, like, the summer a couple years ago. And me and my friend were just, like, kikiing and having a good time. And there was, like, a table of, like, maybe, like, four middle-aged women also on, like, some girls' trip in Atlantic City. And they started talking to us. And this one one mom was just like, you know, I'm really pretty sure my son is gay. Oh. Um, but she's like... And I'm, like, totally okay with it, but I just don't know how to kind of, like, bridge that divide or that gap. Like, what should I do? And she really was, like, coming at me, and I kind of was like, I don't really know. Um, but we did talk about it, and we had a good conversation. So that's kind of how this article really came about, was from that conversation and being confronted by somebody who's saying, like, I'm accepting, I'm excited about this possibility, but I just don't know how to communicate that in an appropriate way. Yeah. yeah. You know, I think what's interesting is this idea of like, I always wonder why, par- why do you feel like parents kind of had that nervousness? Like, why, what do you think they're anxious about when they feel like, Oh my God, I think my child may be LGBTQ plus you. I'm- well, I think it's for a lot of people, it's a place that they're just like, they don't know a lot about, you know what I mean? So it is a lack of education and understanding and, because if you're probably a parent, you're probably not queer, right? <laughs> um, you know, even like that's changing so much. So I think one of the biggest things when I was talking to people was just about like educating yourself and just starting. And that's like outside of your child, you know? So if you do have an inkling or if you are curious about these things, like finding out, you know, Googling, you know, finding resources. And at the end of this article that um, we published, there's a bunch of links to resources of different organizations that parents can turn to. Um, so I think that is kind of like a really great starting point. I also wonder if like that could be for anybody, you know, even if you don't think your child, you know, um, just like find out those things for yourself. Um, because why not, you know? Yeah, because I feel like you don't want to out anyone, including your child, or make assumptions just because of what you think is cliche, you know, gay. Right. And so that's kind of the other thing. It's like not necessarily like the parent broaching the the topic, but um, one of the things that people can do, which I really like this idea, was like just bringing up the conversation in general and like responding to things that you see in the media. So, you know, if like, Neil Patrick Harris is on the Tonight Show or like if Little Nas X is performing on Saturday Night Live and like you're watching it with your child, you know, that could just be a good opportunity for you to be like, oh, like, that's cool. You know, like, I, I like what he's doing. You know what I mean? Just like kind of like responding to those things or if it is Pride Month, you know, being like, oh, um, and, you know, there's maybe a little bit of a cheesiness to that. But I also think that like that's just like giving examples to your child to show them that like you're okay with it without necessarily confronting them about their sexuality, just like giving examples to things that you're seeing and right. sort of saying, you know, this is something, I'm, this is something I'm okay with. So one of your um, kind of 
advice, uh, the the list that you kind of gave on uh, today.com, it says seek your own network. Now, if I grew up in the South, so a parent who was very who was very religious, if you know she's looking to find her own network, it's not like that's easy for 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 her to do that, right? So, how do you do that as a parent who doesn't even understand how to navigate this world? Yeah, I mean, it's like PFLAG, which is like the nation's like first and largest organization um, for LGBTQ people, is really geared towards parents. So that can be like a place where, you know, people can look to. And there's like a local chapter flag like everywhere. Um, so that is like one place. And also like in a lot of other, in a lot of places, there are community centers. Yeah. And lastly, I feel like you don't want to be pushy about it, right? Like a lot of times parents might get excited because they're like, yeah, like I want you to embrace being yourself. But if someone's not ready to do that, you got to kind of relax a bit. Like you don't want to overcompensate. Right. And I do think that also the thing that's really, you know, sexuality and gender are so so much more fluid than they've ever been before. And the younger generations especially are um, really like redefining this whole conversation. And, you know, so many people are, you know, identifying somewhere on the spectrum. And some people are like when Jojo Siwa came out, she came out as LGBTQ, you know, she wasn't even, she's 18 years old and she's saying, you know, I'm definitely LGBTQ, but I'm not even sure where I am on that spectrum. Um, You know, so I think that the thing that we kind of really end our article with is just like the idea of like really listening to them. And, um, you know, that comes from however they identify, whatever that may mean. They may identify a new way that like people 50 years ago when they came out, they would never identify that way, you know? Um, So it's about like listening to that and also just about, you know, listening to to their experience and letting them lead the conversation. Yes, love that. And it's so important to be sharing it on platforms like uh, Today and Today.com, where this audience is that is uh, curious and gets to have more of that information. So great work. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. (laughs) Now coming up, the pandemic has inspired a new robot. The launch of Grace, who you'll meet right after this. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. So the Hong Kong team behind celebrity humanoid robot Sophia. Do you remember this uh, person, this woman? I guess she's uh, referred to as a woman. Sophia, the robot. Look at you respecting robot pronouns. I'm just saying. So good. The bald-headed uh, one. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, which is not fair because I feel like there's hair somewhere. They just decided not to give it to her. Why does she have to be defined by her hair? I'm just, hey, I would, uh, she could have a lot of looks if they let her. But anyway, I guess she doesn't have freedom of that of choice there. Well, they've launched a new prototype called Grace, targeted at the healthcare market. And it's designed to interact with the elderly and those isolated by the COVID 19 pandemic, you know, just in case it happens again. Anyway, here's a moment. Uh, there's this New York Post article about this, and the reporter gets to meet with her and talk to her. Hello, everybody. I am Grace. I am built by hands and robotics for awakening health. Hi, my friend. Nice to see you. Okay, great. So while we talk, I will take your temperature reading and pulse with this little thermal camera on my chest. So, yeah, like, I appreciate creating solutions for those who are alone or old and need support because... You know, loneliness is a big problem. But and with all these innovations, you th- you would think they would make the voice a bit more friendly. 
She's still sounds very robot voice. We need a bit more. You see, it's a humanoid. It doesn't sound like a human voice. Sure, if it starts to get too human, it's going to be like that iRobot movie with Smith, Will Smith and we'll all die. So I don't know if I want it to be that human like. So this this continues to create a clear separation. Yeah. You feel comfortable with. There needs to be. So according to this Reuters article about this, it said that they, uh, the robot is dressed in a blue nurse's uniform. Grace has Asian features, collar length brown hair and a thermal camera in her chest to take your temperature and measure your responsiveness. And she uses artificial intelligence to diagnose a patient and can speak English, Mandarin and Cantonese. I mean, um, this is pretty, uh, pretty big. Uh, this is what Grace told Reuters. I can visit with people and brighten their day with social stimulation, but can also do talk therapy. She's a therapist. Take bio readings and help healthcare providers. So are we OK with this future? What, what do you think? Or is, does this freak you out? I love the future, so I and I like technology evolving. And I think, yeah, there are moments where it could freak me out a little bit. Um, but I'm I'm actually really open to anything in that's kind of futuristic and kind of seeing where technology takes us in in, in this you know the future. I just wonder how much it would be to like rent one of these because it actually costs as much as a luxury car, one of these robots, or make making the robot. So right now it doesn't feel like as accessible. But yeah, maybe this will end up like being a phone in 20 years. Like how small our phone is. Remember how big old cell phones were or like computers originally could fit an entire small room? I don't remember that. Google. <laughs> I wasn't alive then, but like you know, I've, uh, you I've seen enough. Alive I've seen enough documentaries about the making of the computer. Alive then, yes, you uh, were alive then. Well, let us know if you'd want your own grace. At LGT Show is where you could find us on social media. Slide into our DMs. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We're wrapping up the show as we always do with our Yaz Queen of the Day. Yes, Queen. Sorry, I tried to get it out there. Wow. I'm do it one more time. Yeah. Yes, Queen. Yes, okay. Male teachers and students across Spain, they are wearing skirts in solidarity with students who are being bullied or punished, and they look pretty good while doing it. This isn't the first time we've seen this. What? This isn't the first time we've seen students do this before. Well, in Spain, this is very big, and um, it's getting some news. It all was inspired by 15-year-old Spanish student Mikel Gomez, who wore a skirt to school last October, and he was hoping to challenge gender norms and support women's rights. But instead, he was pulled out of class and brought before a psychologist, who then grilled him about his gender identity. And he explained this all in this viral TikTok last year. Well, the video has sparked a movement where hundreds of boys in the country wore skirts to school in solidarity on November 4th. And now they are continuing that not just in November, but throughout the year. His uh, the or Jose Pinas, who's a gay math teacher. I don't think it's his, but he's just a teacher. He started wearing skirts too to school. And he said, 20 years ago, I suffered persecution and insults for my sexual orientation in the institutes where I am now a teacher. He wrote on Twitter, many teachers, they look the other way. I wanted to join in the cause of the student who has been expelled and sent to the psychologist for going to class with a skirt. So the hashtag La Ropa No Tiene Genero. Oh, wow. Say it again. Can <laughs> no. you do it again? I'm not going to. It translates to clothing has no gender is gaining popularity. And now students are joining in protests. Um, they're doing this on the fourth day of every month, actually. So this is so cool. We want to give a, sh- a shout out to all the uh, men, the boys in Spain uh, doing this. And 
Yeah, and to the person who started it all, this uh, young guy, um, Mikel Gomez, congratulations. Congrats. You get a big yes queen. I also have a special yes queen as well. Okay. Um, There's a new HBO documentary called Legends of the Underground. Um, It is an incredible new documentary that I had the pleasure of actually viewing before, but it's about to premiere at Tribeca Film Festival, and it's coming out very, very soon, and it explores uh, queer Nigeria. Hmm. And Nigeria, as we all know, is very discriminatory, very violent when it comes to queer folks. You can't even say if the government thinks that you have slept with men or slept with the same sex that you could be uh, held punishable by law. Yeah. Uh, you could even die. There's so many things that is happening there in this documentary that is also backed by John Legend, who just recently posted it. Um, it is, it's gorgeous. It's beautiful. And I'm very, very excited um, that the world is going to be able to see it. And hopefully we'll be able to get uh, some of the cast members on to talk about their experience very, very soon. But I just wanted to shout that out. Check it out. Legend of the underground. It's beautiful. Love that. Well, thank you. Yeah. And if you want to nominate anyone for our Yes Queen of the Day, slide into our DMs. We'd love to hear from you at LGT Shows, where we're at on social media. Coming up on tomorrow's show, as always, we've got What's Trending This Hour. We've got the tea. Plus, we're going to be talking about uh, TikTok. You know, they had an issue with the Trump administration. Well, now it's Biden's problem. How is he dealing with that? More on tomorrow's show. And we've got more stories of pride, of course, on the show. And we are live here on Channel Q2 to 6 p.m. Pacific, 5 to 9 p.m. Eastern. As a reminder, if you miss any of our shows or interviews, we post everything as a podcast. Just go to the Odyssey app and search Let's Go There or where podcasts are available. We are sending you love and light. And honey, remember to slay. Now stick around for Love Line with Dr. Chris, where he's covering how to be an ally during pride. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.